0: I'm so excited to see you guys here. If any of y'all have ever heard me speak, you're one of my favorite group of people on the planet. I love college students. You guys are the future. And uh, if you did not exist, the church would be dying very quickly. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, us old farts, we don't do too good of being obedient to God. But you guys are on fire and, uh, and you have the time and the energy that we don't have to really spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm really excited to be here to speak to you guys tonight. And I consider it an extreme honor and privilege to do so uh, because I believe that every word that I speak tonight will come from God's word, which has the potential to transform your life and transform the lives of people that are in your sea of humanity. So thank you for the honor and the privilege of being here with you tonight. I'm going to try not to put you to sleep, but I am going to speak from God's word in Jonah chapter number three. This is an exciting story that we get to read today and that we get to just kind of journey through because Jonah is packed with a lot of really good stuff. Somebody say, that's some good stuff. No, 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 no. Say it like you from the hood. That's some good stuff. Like, you about to step into some cray-cray good stuff. Like, slap your mama on Mother's Day when she wakes up in the morning or when she steps out of the shower, which be highly inappropriate. Good stuff. Amen. I hope you're not slapping your mama when she steps out of the shower. We're going to have to have a conversation, all right? But we find ourselves in the book of Jonah, chapter number Three. And Jonah is an Old Testament prophet. And there's nothing worse than knowing that somebody has to do a job because it's what they do. You know, if you're a prophet, you speak on behalf of who? Yeah, that's right. If you said Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, it'd all be the same answer. You know, yeah, it's all right. G-O-D. You speak on behalf of God. But there's nothing worse than seeing somebody who's called, anointed, appointed, and gifted, not doing what they're called to do. It makes no sense, and one of the most frustrating things that I see is when you see like a super tall dude that's super athletic, super ripped, looks like he could slam dunk on LeBron James, and you ask him, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a rocket scientist. I'm like, bro, if you could give me about two or three inches of your height, I'd be a monster up in these streets, you know? There's nothing worse than seeing somebody like that and they're not like doing what's obvious, you know. And Jonah's not doing what he should obviously be doing. He's a prophet, so you should be speaking on behalf of God, especially when God tells you to speak. Nowadays, everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips, just a bunch of gibberish. I'm just, I'm just trying to tell you. And they act like God has told them to say something when God ain't telling them neither, nah, zero is filth. I speak good Spanish, thank you. And so Jonah has been given specific instructions, but as we've already learned, Jonah's hard-headed. You know, my daddy used to say, a hard head will make for a soft behind. And he was right on that. My behind is very soft because I was very hard-headed. And so Jonah, decides. God's like, hey, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. I need you to preach a word against the city. Jonah's like, peace out, I'm out of here. I ain't going to no Nineveh. You crazy. I ain't going there. And so Jonah hops on a ship. He pays the fare to go as far away from Nineveh as he possibly can go. And y'all know what happens. The, the Lord's like, oh yeah, you think you're running from me? You think you're going to get away from me? And he sends this Great storm upon the sea, and, and as they're on the boat, that the waves begin to rock against it, and, and the sailors are freaking out. And they're just like, What in the world is going on? And they're crying out to their gods, and nothing's happening, it's only getting worse. And and then finally, somebody peeps Jonah out, and he's just kind of laying in the bottom of the ship. And and the captain's like, Bro, like, for real? Like, you sleeping? Do you not see the storm out here? The boat's about to break apart and you're sleeping? Like, do you not realize the chaos that's going on around you? Do you not realize the peril that we're in and you're sleeping? But that sounds like so many people that we know. There's chaos. The sea is, the sea is choppy and the storm has been in their boats about to break, but they're sleep in the bottom of the ship. And the problem is we're not like the captain. We're not going down to find anybody that we can to figure out what's going on. We just got to leave them be. We're letting them stay asleep. And the ship's are breaking apart and they're about to die. But we're just like, oh, oh it sucks to be you. I'm, I'm getting out of here. Good luck. And that's how we treat the people that we claim we love. Now, maybe, maybe you don't do that. Maybe I'm the only guy that does that. Maybe Maybe I'm the only bad Christian in the planet, but I don't believe I'm alone. I believe we all struggle from time to time leaving people in the bottom of the boat while the storm is breaking their lives apart. You can see their lives crumbling right in front of you. You can see the chaos and the turmoil. You can see the confusion. You can see that there's no answers and they're they're stressed out and they're trying to figure it out. But you're like, "Ah." kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya, oh Lord. And and people are singing. Swing low, sweet chariot. Coming forth to carry me home. Because they're dying. But we're not holy huddles. All is well with my soul. It is well with me. But how can it be well with you when you see people around you falling apart? Where is our heart of flesh that cries out for humanity and says, We got to do something. Something's got to change. It's not okay that people are dying and going to hell. It's not okay. Every time somebody dies, I just pray, well, I really hope they knew the Lord. Because if not, that's the last time I'll ever see that cat. It's a possibility I'll never see you again. If you don't know Jesus, and I'm not okay with that, I'm not okay with anybody that I know dying, and I'm not okay with anybody you know dying and going to hell. I'm not okay with that. So how can we make the impact? Well, the Lord creates a situation, and the Bible talks about the great fish, not the well but the Bible calls it a what? The great fish. And the great fish comes by, and it's, it's ironic how the timing works out. They're like, we're going to throw you overboard, Jonah. And Jonah's like, just throw me overboard. And at the same time he gets tossed overboard, there just happens to be this great fish just swimming in the water, just chilling, minding his own business. He's probably a little hungry. And they toss Jonah overboard, as Jonah had asked him to do. And the great fish swallows Jonah. And he's in the belly of this great fish for how long? Three days and three nights. Three days and it's okay to answer. I'll help you out if you're wrong, but three days and three nights, he's in the belly of this great fish. And all of a sudden, the Lord starts to upset the stomach of the great fish. He gets a tummy ache. And he spits Jonah up on dry land. Could you imagine being in the belly of a great fish? I mean, think about it. The fish is swimming around in the water, and it's going up. And it's going down. Could you imagine the cabin pressure inside the fish? Could, could you imagine all the krill maybe that the fish ate? If it eats krill or whatever else it has swallowed. And, and you're in the, the belly of this fish and you're, you're praying that this fish doesn't open its mouth while you're still in the belly. Because you don't want to drown. Could you imagine being in a great fish? I mean, it's enough to be in your mama's womb. But it's a whole other matter to be inside a great fish. And so this fish fits him up on dry land. And so God presses the reset button. And he comes to Jonah. And he says, now that you're done running away and, and playing around, let, let me give you the same instructions all over again. I, I'm thankful for the God of a second chance. He says this in Jonah chapter 3. taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that he may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. That's an amen right there. Thank you, Jesus. Today, I want to spend the next few moments talking to you about four things to consider when you're dealing with your enemies. Four things to consider when you're dealing with your enemies. Now, I thought it would be good to start this message by sharing a few quotes that you may have heard about enemies. Some have said you should keep your friends close to your enemies closer. Some have also said who needs friends when you have enemies? Did you know that Mahatma Gandhi said this, he said it is easy enough to be friendly to one's friends, but to befriend the one who regards himself as your enemy is the quintessence of true religion The other is mere business. And then G.K. Chesterton said this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies. Probably, generally, they are the same people. So if we are bound to run into what we call enemies, how do we deal with them? You know, when I was in high school, I had an enemy. I had a real enemy. And he went to church with me. Now, out of all the places you want not have an enemy, church? I mean, the safest place you should feel safe in should be the church, right? But here was the crazy thing about this enemy. We went to church. We grew up together. We, we were the same age, same grade. Hung around each other. I've been to his house. He's been to my house. And we were cool all year long. Until we would go to the National Baptist Youth Convention. And somehow my friend turns into an enemy. He begins to show off and he begins to bully and intimidate me. And I was, I was pretty afraid of him. And, and he would pick on me and want to fight me. And I was like, I don't want to fight you. I was like, I'm not, getting, I'm, I'm not down for that. I'm just, you know, I'm going to keep to my business. You know, I don't, I don't need the drama. And every year he would do this. And finally... As a sophomore in high school, we went to the convention, and we had this kid named Deron Conley. Deron Conley was one of the worst teenagers I've ever met in church in my entire life. He was bad to the bone. I mean, he lived to break rules. He lived to make you mad. He lived to just do wrong. But he was my friend. And you know the Bible says bad company does what? Corrupts good morals. I didn't care. I like Duran, and I would go hang out with Duran. Well, this one particular year, Duran says, you know what? I'm going to teach you how to fight. I'm going to teach you how not to be scared, because I'm tired of watching you get picked on. So I'm going to teach you how to fight. So Duran pulls me into a room, and he says, okay, I need you to get your stance. So I'm standing here like this. He said, no, no, no. Put your left leg forward, your right leg back. He said, keep them about shoulders width apart. And he starts slapping me on the side to make sure I have a good foundation of good base. He said, if you fall over, you're not in good position. I said, okay. And he said, okay, first thing I need you to do is teach you defense. So he said, when you're boxing, if your hands are down, what's going to happen? And I, said, I don't know. And so he throws a jab at me. And I was like, oh, you get hit in the face. Okay. So I'm like this. And he's like, that's not going to help you, bro. And so he says, get back in your stance. And he said, I want you to put your hands like this. And I want you to guard your face. But he said, at the same time, you're somewhat guarding your midsection because if you block your face, they can hit you in your midsection as well. I said, okay. And so he said, I'm going to teach you how to throw a jab. He said, try to jab me. So I do like this. He said, that's not a jab. That's a cross. And he said, get your left hand because you're right-handed. And he said, just extend, rotate it, just extend, rotate it, extend. And he had me doing this drill about a hundred times. That's all I want you to do. Do this. And he said, I'm going to teach you the cross now. I said, okay, the cross. All right, I can't wait. It's like, Jesus died on the cross. I'm going to kill this guy and he's going to die on the cross. What's happening? (laughs) And he said, no, 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 that's not what it is. He said, what you're going to do, the cross is going to appear to be like a jab, but it's coming from your right hand. So I said, keep jabbing, keep jabbing. And he said, now I want you to throw your right hand. Well, when I threw it, he said, that's not going to work. And I said, why? He said, because there's no power there. I said, what do you mean? He said, I got to teach you the right technique. So when you're standing, you jab, and when you throw that cross, you've got to rotate your hips because your power comes from the rotation. And he said, your foot's pointed here. Your foot's got to end up here. So when you throw that cross, you jab, and then you cross. He said, that's where you'll get maximum power. And I was like, oh, snap, okay, okay. It's about to go down up in this piece. He said, all right, I'm almost done teaching you. Just, I can't teach you everything in one day, but I'm going to teach you a few things. So you got your jab, you got your cross, and then he said, now you got to deliver your hook. So he said, throw me a hook. So I was like, jab, cross. And I go, he's like, bro, have I not taught you anything? He said, you've got to rotate. I said, but I did rotate on the cross. And he's like, no, you got to rotate also on the hook. So he said, jab, cross, hook. And I got that motion down. And he said, okay, now the next thing is I'm going to teach you how to numb your hands. Numb my hands? What? You don't want to hurt yourself, so I'm going to numb your hands. So he gets the sink, and he puts in a bunch of boiling, scolding, hot water. And he says, all right, here you go. Put your hands in there for 30 seconds. Put my hands in there, I'm like, "Ah!" for 30 seconds, and they went numb. Then he takes a pair of socks and he wraps my hands in socks. He said, All right, now we're going to go next door to the next room. The guys are waiting to fight you. And I'm like, bro, you just taught me, like, what are you talking about? So I go in there. I'm nervous. I'm super nervous. I go in there. And when I get to the room, the guy said this. All right, Z, here's what we're going to do. you got to start with the youngest and work your way to the oldest. Now, I'm a sophomore. We got a bunch of seniors. And everybody else that's young, like me, is sophomore. So they're my age, my size all this. And they're from the hood. I'm from the suburbs, all right? So now, I've got to start with Chip first. Not Chip Looter, but Chip. Start with Chip first. And so I square up with Chip, and I'm thinking of everything that Duran taught me. And I square up, and he's like, all right, let's go, let's go. And I'm just bouncing around, just trying to keep myself loose, and I throw that jab. Bah! Throw that jab. And he's like, whoa! I said, Okay, okay, okay. He said, all right, all right come back. Chip tries to hit me. I slip the jab, and I come out. Bam! Hit him with a cross. And he stumbles back. And I was like, wow! So then Chip grabs me, and he scoops me up and slams me on the bed. And, And then he doesn't know what to do with me. So I just jump off the bed. I get back up. And Chip was like, and all he knew to do was grab me, scoop me, throw me up on the bed. I got right back out. And I started tagging him. And I just wouldn't let up off him. I said, Cross, I'm gonna hit him. And I just kept tagging him and slipping the jab and, and just going after him. Finally, they broke it up. And they're like, Chip, you've had enough. And I was like, I just did that. I just did that. And then it's time to fight Matt. Now, Matt's the bully. He's a kid that's been messing with me. Kid, I was afraid of. I gotta square up against Matt. Feel a little bit more confident now. Feel a little bit good about myself. So we square up. And I can see in Matt's eyes, he's like, oh crap. This kid's a little different. I gotta be careful, I got stay away from him. So I square up against Matt. I'm like, we'll put this three-piece combo on him. Like I went to KFC or something. Or churches or Popeyes, whatever. Use your preference. <laughs> I'm about to put this three-piece combo on Matt, and so I go popping with the jab. I double pop him with the jab, and then I go to hit the jab cross. Matt ducks. I hit the wall. Bam! My hand said, whoop! fight over." And I realized that I dealt with my enemy. I'll say the results for the end of the story. Here's four things you need to consider when you're dealing with your enemy. Now, this is not going to be a Taibo class, a boxing class, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu class. I mean, I studied those things and got really good at them because I like to fight. I don't do that anymore, but I like to fight. But there's four things you need to consider when dealing with your enemy. Number one, consider the role of your enemies. Consider the role of your enemies. Here you had this powerful nation called Nineveh, this great city. These Ninevites, they were they were crazy people. They were extremely violent. They were the type of cats that would walk around and just Just kind of do stuff just to make you react. You know, they were kind of like walking through like, I wish you would. I wish you would say something. They were them cats. And so the Ninevites just struck fear in the hearts of everybody. Like you saw a Ninevite walk by, you're like, man, I'm out of here, man. I don't want want no drama. I don't want no heat. What'd you say? I didn't say nothing. I didn't say nothing. said, bless the Lord all my soul and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. And so these Ninevites were bad dudes. But notice how God refers to Nineveh. He says, that great city. Huh. Have you ever thought about why God would call that city great? He said, Nineveh, that great city. Consider the role that the Ninevites were playing back in that time period you have the nation of israel the israelites the hebrew people and what we see consistently through the old testament is some days they're good some days they're not so good some days they're honoring god and obeying his law and and, and honoring his commands but other days they're just not they're they're falling down the false idols they're they're chasing after the nations that god tells them not to chase after and they're rebellious, they're stubborn, they're pig-headed, and they're not doing what God wants them to do, and then sometimes they, they get it right. And just consider maybe the Ninevites come into play because God is trying to get the Israelites right. Consider the fact that God loved the Ninevites just as much as he loved the Israelites. Even though the Israelites were God's what? Chosen people. They were the chosen nation. But they weren't chosen because God loved them more than he loved the world. They were chosen because they were supposed to be called out to be an example of what it looks like to have a relationship with God as a nation. That was the purpose of being chosen. They weren't chosen because they were so beautiful. They were so smart. They were athletic. They were like gods on the earth. They were chosen because God said, I want to use your life to be an example of what it looks like to walk with me. So that the other nations will walk with me as well. That was the purpose. And so when God calls Nineveh the great city, he has great love for them. And maybe the role of the Ninevites was to get the Israelites in check. Maybe the Ninevites were so wicked that it would cause the Israelites to go down on their knees and say, Lord, please help us. Please deliver us. Please protect us. Please save us. You want to know why? Because when things are good in our lives, we don't pray like we should, don't we? But when things hit the fan, oh, Lord Jesus, you got to help me. Save me, God. I need you. Please. And could you imagine, God, he's like, I'm going to be there for you, but, like, chill out with all that. Like, you don't do that every day. Like, when things are good, I don't even hear from you. Like, you never call me. You never stop by. You know, you're hanging out with everybody else, but when it comes to me, it's like, mm, out of sight, out of mind. And oftentimes, God uses our enemies to turn our attention back to him. And so consider the role of the enemies in your life. If you're dealing with an enemy right now, maybe that enemy's in your life to get you to focus on Jesus. Maybe God's reminding you of your, his, your need for him. Maybe God wants to remind you that he is your protector maybe God just wants to remind you that he has your back that he will fight your battles and so these Ninevites are in place because God loves them and he uses them to teach us a lesson today think about that we're sitting here talking about a nation that has been dead for thousands of years Nineveh no longer exists. Not in the way it used to. The people don't have that rep anymore. They don't have that street cred anymore. And yet today we're talking about it. as God is turning our focus and our attention to Him. So you got to consider the role of your enemies. When I think back to my time, I think back to when I had to face Matt. And he was a bully to me, and he was an enemy. And I said to myself, this is the last year that I will ever be afraid of anybody. I am not living in fear. That is not going to happen. I am going to stand up for myself and fight for myself because I'm tired of being afraid. And when you get sick and tired of being something, you want to change, don't you? When, when you really had enough, you're ready to make a difference. You're ready to do something different. And so I made the decision that day. I'm going to use this as fuel to make me better, to make me stronger. I remember when I came back home, I hit the gym like never before. I started getting into boxing and really learning how to do it. I got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I got into taekwondo, and just started going after it. Not so I could be the new bully, but so I could protect myself. And the role that Matt played, was he built confidence in me. Because my enemy intimidated me, it made me stronger and it made me more confident. Consider the role of your enemy. Maybe you're dealing with an enemy because God wants you to be stronger. God wants you to be more confident, but God wants you to be more reliable and reliant upon him. Maybe God is bringing the enemy into your life to transform you. And we're going to see this transformation in Jonah. Some of it's good, but next week you're going to find out it ain't all good in the hood. The second thing I want you to consider is why God would send you to certain people. Why would God send you to certain people? So Jonah gets the word to go to Nineveh. He hates Nineveh. He can't stand the Ninevites. Have you ever been in a car driving somewhere and somebody cuts you off and you see them cut the next person off and they're just driving erratically and and they're they're almost about to cause an accident and you're looking around like, where are the police? Like, I need some police officers to pull this cat over. The other night, my wife and I we were driving somewhere, and there were two cars that were racing down the street. And I mean, they almost run into me, they almost run into a few other cars, and we get up to an intersection. And we're waiting on the light to turn green, and all of a sudden, here comes the state trooper. And I was like, ha ha ha, it's about to go down. Get those guys off the road. And the state trooper did nothing. I said, What? And so we make the turn of the light, and we go down the next road, and they're doing the same stuff all over again. I said, Surely, eventually, they're gonna get theirs. And we get down the road, and half a mile down the road, there's a police officer sitting in the median of the road. Say, yeah, yeah, he's gonna go get him. Yeah. Nothing happened. And I was so mad, I almost started to call the police department and say, Fire your officers. They suck at their job. I'm just saying. I know I'm not supposed to say suck, but you know, I'm just saying. They do. And so, nothing happened to them. And the truth is, is we're like that with people. If you're dealing with an enemy, you're waiting for God to go get them. If we're being honest, shame the truth, tell the truth, shame the devil. Like, God, go get them. Deal with them. Yeah, go, God, there they are, they're in that car over there. You can't miss them. They're right there, God. You see them? And you see God do nothing. And it frustrates you. And here's Jonah. God's telling him to go preach against the city. And he says, 40 days, in 40 days, the city will be destroyed. And I know in Jonah's heart, he's like, I can't wait to see that day come. I can't wait to see God wipe them out. I can't wait for him to deal with it. And he's not the only one. Oftentimes we're like that. Let somebody hurt your feelings. Let somebody really something damaging to you. Let them talk bad about you. Let them, let them kick your the dog or something like that. You know, we live in the capital, lightning capital of the United States. You know, you're like, just walk outside, you know. I'll pray, God, please send a lightning bolt. I don't know what happened to him. You you just walked outside. I don't know, God. (laughs) But we, on the inside, we really want bad things to happen to people that hurt us. And I learned this a long time ago, hurt people do what? Hurt people. Hurt people. Hurt people. And so Jonah has seen this history of the Ninevites messing with the Israelites. And he's like, God, go get him, Go get him, God. Like, 40 days? I, can, I think 40 days is too long. I wish it was more like four. But I'll deal with 40 days. I'll go preach 40 days. And he goes into the city and he preaches this message. And 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says this. I love this. First of all, Then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the heart of God. And yet Jonah's walking into Nineveh, hoping, that God would destroy them. Not save them, not transform them, not redeem them, but destroy them. And I am suspicious of the fact that many of us don't evangelize, we don't reach our friends because we really don't like them. And the truth is, is we really don't want God to transform their lives. We would rather them go away than to be transformed. And I know you're looking at me and saying, oh, no, never me. Oh, no, that would never be a thought of mine. It may not be a thought of yours, but your actions speak louder than words. Are you reaching your friends? Are you being intentional about sharing Jesus? Or are you content with just coming in this night and singing your songs, listening to a testimony, hearing an over the hill preacher preach at you? And then you go home and nothing changes. And I don't know about you, but every time I look around the world, it don't look too good. Every time I read my Bible and see what's going on in the world, I realize that time is drawing near. And can you imagine the disciples back in the day over 2000 years when Jesus was like, I'm coming back soon. Oh, cool, Jesus. Well, we'll be waiting for you when you get here. And then 2,000 years passes, and we're reading the same words. I'm coming again. I'm coming soon. Well, it's definitely a lot sooner than it was 2,000 years ago. And so we see the signs of the time. We see tribulation all over the world. We, we hear wars and rumors of war right now. War just broke out. And the fear is that it could cause World War Three. Now, I'm not here to make you panic and stuff like that and run out of the room and go to a bomb shelter. But what I'm saying is when we look around the world and we see the trouble and the turmoil and the chaos, something's got to happen. What's our role in this? So consider this consider that God sends you to certain people because he loves them. God speaks to you and encourages you to go to the people that you would consider unreachable. To love the people that you would deem unlovable. To care about the people that, in other words, you wouldn't even care for. Because he wants to leverage your life to show them what a relationship with him looks like. Just like he did the nation Israel. What if we were considering that? When God says, I want you to go reach that person. I want you to go get to know that lady. I want you to go, ne- go get to know that guy. I know this person's an atheist, but I want you to form a relationship with them. I want you to take them to lunch. Like, God, are you serious? Like, I don't even have money to feed myself. Why would I take somebody to lunch? Like, God can make a way. And he sends you to certain people because he has a plan and a purpose. And so God is sending Jonah to Nineveh because he has a plan and a purpose for this great city. But the third thing that we need to consider is the impact of our obedience. Consider the impact of your obedience. What if, what if, we all decided to become ridiculously obedient to God? What if we all made up in our minds starting today, right now. I'm going to do whatever God says. I'm going to say whatever he says. I'm going to go wherever he tells me to go. I'm going to reach exactly who he tells me to reach. I'm just going to be insanely obedient to God. Could you imagine the impact? Could you imagine what God could do through your obedience? So Jonah, after having a hissy fit, and disobeying God and running away, finally gets it right. And he journeys into the city. And when he's about a day's journey into the city, he begins to cry out against the city. And he delivers the shortest message that a prophet could possibly deliver. He's like, I'm saying is exactly what God said. I ain't adding nothing to it. We don't need to exegete the text. It is what it is. And he calls out against the city. And this is what he says to the city. He says this. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Here's the impact of his obedience. Y'all ready for this? The city freaks out. Like they hear him and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What you talking about, Willis? Like, you serious? Like 40 days and we're going down? And they freak out. Like they panic. And here's what the Bible says. It's it's so crazy. And the people of Nineveh did what? They believed God. Notice they didn't say they believed Jonah. They believed God. When they heard that word, They heard God's voice coming and speaking loud. And here's the truth. When we open our mouths and declare what God says, people aren't listening to us. They're listening to God. The very words of God are being spoken through us. The very word of God spoke through Jonah in that moment, and it penetrated the hearts of the people. If we would just open our mouths and say what God wants us to say, we don't have to worry about trying to be a slick used car salesman to get somebody to buy Jesus. If we would just open our mouths, God will do the rest. He just needs us to open our mouth. Somebody say open your mouth. Come on, open your mouth. All God needs you to do is just open your mouth. And just say what he gives you. Just say. Well, God, if I'm standing in the middle of the city and I open my mouth, what if they kill me? What if they hate me? What if they cancel me? What if they turn off my Twitter account? What am I going to do? And the Bible says they believed God. There's something about when the word of the Lord goes out. The Bible tells us that the Lord's word will not return to him. What? Void. It's not going to come back empty. It's going to fulfill everything that God designed it to fulfill. So they believed God, and they went cray-cray. This is amazing. Y'all ready for this? They called for a fast. Now, Ninevites, what do you know about a fast? Like, what do you know about putting on sackcloth? Like, really, bro? Like, you live that life? Like, the last time I checked, you were like in the Boys of the Hood movie. Like, all of a sudden, you were sitting in a preacher's pulpit. Like, what's really going on here? And they put on sackcloth. And they begin to fast. They got religious real fast. And I wondered to myself, how in the world did they know to do that? Where did they get that from? Like, who taught them that? Was that a part of their normal customs and traditions? Was that a part of their religious system? They had to learn that from somewhere. I mean, nothing from nothing equals what? Nothing. So they learned it from somewhere. That's learned behavior. I wonder if there were some faithful Jews who may have lived in Nineveh or lived around Nineveh. And the Ninevites were used to seeing how they worshiped their God. Like they understood Jewish culture. Like they understood the Israelites' religion and they understood how they would approach God and how they would repent before God. And maybe they laughed at them in the past, but when they heard the word of the Lord, they realized, oh, we're in trouble. We got to do something different here. And they began to worship God. They began to do the things the Hebrews would have done because of the impact, of the obedience of Jonah. And then it goes epic. It goes super epic. The Bible says the word reached the ears of the king. Now you would think the king would be like, man, that's crazy. Do you know who we are? We're going to squash all of this. But the Bible tells us that the king arose from his throne. He took off his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. That's what a good Jew would do. And the king of Nineveh goes religious. The king of Nineveh shows up at church. He's like, there's something really wrong here that we got to figure out how to fix as a nation. I love my city and I don't want to see it destroyed. And if God has spoken a word against us, we ain't going down like that. And So the king gets religious. Maybe they heard of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe they heard of the destruction that happened in that city and they're like, that ain't ever happening to us. And so the king sits down in sackcloth and ashes and then he goes viral. We think viral is something that happened in this day and age. The king was like, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock Taste anything, let them not feed on, drink on water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn away from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Now you talk about getting Jesus out there It don't get much better than that. When the king begins to speak, you know people are listening. They're already listening because God has spoken and they're already doing what they're supposed to do. Now the king is like, I'm making sure that nobody escapes this decree. We're all going to join in together and we're going to make this happen because we're going to save this city. Just imagine what your obedience could do. How many cities and nations and People could be saved from the destruction that's coming into their lives if we would just be obedient. And so Jonah obeys the word of the Lord and turns a city upside down with the shortest sermon I've ever heard a prophet preach. And then lastly, consider what God could do because of the impact, God turns around and he relents. He said, I had it set in my heart and my mind to destroy the city and I've done it before. I ain't afraid to do it again. And he changes his mind because of the reaction of the people. I just see in my eyes my spiritual eye, this room full of students who say, you know what? If God could do that in Nineveh, what could he do at USF? If God could reach people who are violent and wicked and evil and change their hearts and save an entire city, what could he do with this campus? Could you imagine if God saved this campus? Like, you wouldn't be able to have BCM in here. Like, you know that football stadium they're supposed to be building? Wouldn't it be cool to have a service in there every week? Because, like, every student at USF is saved. Like, the highlight of the week isn't the football game, but it's, like, the BCM. Wouldn't that be cool? I mean, I, I dream so big because I can see God doing something that we couldn't even imagine in our own hearts. Now, I'm not dreaming like this because I want to see numbers. Numbers doesn't matter to me. But I'm talking about real transformed lives set on fire for the kingdom of heaven. And people getting saved, people getting baptized, we're getting discipled, we're releasing people out to the city, into the communities, to the state, to the nation, and to the ends of the earth, and the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Why can't that start here? And all it takes It's just somebody willing to be obedient and saying, I'm all in. I'm going all in. I'm not holding anything back. This is for you, God. If this life is meant for me to live for you, you can have it all. My dreams, my diplomas, my everything, God. I give you everything. If you would just use me to make an impact, I'll be obedient. I'll go. I'm not going to run. And even when I feel like I've got my track shoes on and I'm ready to run, God, I know you got me. I know you bring me back. And God said, who's willing to go? You know, I love running. I like Pastor Jay, who does not like running. I like to run. I'm actually training for a marathon. Yes, this fat boy is training for a marathon. I'm not going to be fat when I run the marathon. But I am training for a marathon. And what's interesting about it is I have this battle every time I wake up in the morning. I gotta get out there and I gotta go run. The last time I ran track and field, I weighed 163 pounds. Today I weigh 225 pounds. That hurts. And so I've gotta put on my shoes that I bought. Did you know that, like real running shoes, like marathon shoes, cost over a hundred dollars? Like, I didn't even buy Jordans when I was younger. They were too expensive. And now i got to buy these $100. I'm like, what? Seriously? So I have to go and ask my daddy for some money so I can buy a new pair of shoes. But um, so I put on these overly expensive shoes. they got, like, thick soles. And I put on my sweatband because I sweat a lot. You can see that right now. It's, like, a little glistening. I don't have any air to trap this. And then I go outside and I have like this thing that looks like a little fanny pack. And I put my phone in it and my keys and my wallet and you know, all that stuff. And then I sit out and go running. And as I'm running down the street, I'm like, God, I hate myself. Why am I doing this? I can't believe it. And then I get done and I'm like, Whoo! man, that wasn't so bad. Yeah, I can do this tomorrow. And I wake up the next morning like, oh, I hate life. It just sucks. I don't do this. Why did I do this? I don't have to run this marathon. I can just give up. But I run because it reminds me of the race that I'm running in life. I'm running a race and so are you. And we're running as to win a prize. We want to see people get saved and come into the kingdom. And so when I think about my enemies, I consider what God could do. Colossians 1 21 through 23 reminds me of a bitter and sobering reality. Y'all ready for this? Watch this. It's not going to be on the screen, but if y'all put it up there, y'all are amazing. It says, and you, meaning me and you, and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. In other words, you used to be an enemy of God. That's real talk. There's not a single person in here at one point of your life or the other. You were an enemy of God. Every last one of you, you were an enemy of God, including me. We were all enemies of God. But God, what could he do? Romans chapter 5, verse 10, watch this. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have now received reconciliation. In other words, guys, we were all on the same playing field. We were enemies of God. So the next time you're dealing with an enemy and you're tempted to kind of thumb your nose up at them, You're tempted to push them away and not deal with them. You're tempted to pray that, go get them, God, prayers. What could God do through you to reach your enemy? Because if God was not in the business of reaching enemies, none of us would have made it. None of us would be saved. We would all be born enemies of God, and we would die enemies of God, and we would spend eternity enemies of God. But God loves enemies. I'm so glad he loved me while I was still in my sins. Christ died for me. The Bible tells me that I am a sinner. It said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, meaning Pastor Z is a sinner. And here's the crazy thing. My consequences are no different than your consequences. Y'all know what the consequences are? The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is what? Death. That means the moment you commit one sin, you deserve to die. I don't like that, Pastor Z. That sounds like it's not inclusive. Oh, yeah, it's inclusive. That includes you and it includes me. All right? So we all are under that penalty. None of us gets away from that. The moment you sin, you deserve death. But I like that the scripture doesn't end there in Romans 6, 23. He says, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's saying, okay, so you sin. I don't like it, but I've got a solution. Here's the crazy thing. So we're like, okay, I sin. Let me, let me make it right with God. Let me, you know, like if you're in a relationship and you mess up, you know, we're going to make it right with her. Let me try to." move things over again. Baby, baby, I didn't mean to. You know, I I tripped over and fell into a creek and, you know, somebody, this beautiful girl came and saved me and and she was doing CPR on me. What? Really? Come on. But here's what the Bible says. You can't fix it. Like, there's nothing you can do to mend a relationship. It's jacked up. Like, you mess up, you apologize, and you move on about your business. And God's like, no, 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 no. It ain't that easy. No, 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 no. You can't earn this. You can't work for it. You can't do good enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't pray enough. You can't give enough money. You can't go to the BCM enough. You can't go to Sunday school enough. You can't be in the band enough. You can't do anything enough to earn this. This is unearnable. Everything that needs to happen in order for you to get this has already been done. That's why I say Free. If somebody hands you a free gift and says you owe me $25.99, the gift is not what? Free. No, no, sucker, that's not a free gift. That's something you're asking me to pay for. And so he gives us a free gift, and the only thing you have to do with a free gift is do what? Accept it. Receive it. So Jesus says "But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then the Bible goes on to say that we are saved by grace, through faith, not of works that any man could boast. In other words, Jesus is like, I'm taking all the bragging out of it. You. you can't brag about your salvation because you didn't earn it. You didn't buy it. You didn't do anything to get this other than receive it by faith. And so he takes the work away from us and he did all the work. How so? Well, he came into the world through the virgin birth, lived a perfect, sinless life, went to the cross, become our substitutionary atonement on the cross. In other words, he died on the cross in our place. The death that we deserve to die, Jesus died for us. And he was the only one that could die that death because he was the only one with pure blood. God would only accept pure blood in that sacrifice. And Jesus said, I'm going to die one time for the world. And I'm going to take all of their sins upon myself. And I'm going to become the very object of sin. And God, you're going to pour your full wrath upon me on the cross. And I'm going to take it because I love them so much. Which is why Jesus cried out on the cross, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so Jesus dies. His blood is shed. And the Father is pleased once and for all. He's appeased. The sin has been atoned for. And they take Jesus off the cross, put him in the grave. And the disciples get scared and they go hide. Their hopes are dashed. They think Jesus really is dead. Everything he taught us was a lie. We're afraid now because everybody's going to kill us. And then something miraculous happens. On the third day, God gives Jesus resurrection power as he raises him from the grave. And Jesus comes to life, not as a phantom, not as a ghost, not as an apparition, but the real Jesus with a real body comes back to life. And he appears before many for 40 days. And the Bible says at the end of his time, he ascends into the heavens on the cloud. And they're looking up in the heavens and they're saying, Whoa, that's pretty cool. That's something new. We've never seen that before. And they hear this voice that says, Why do you stand around gazing? The, way, the same way that Jesus has ascended, he will come back. And Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit who's going to be sent by the Father. And the day of Pentecost comes, and they're sitting in the upper room, And the Bible says the sound like a mighty rushing wind fills the house. And all of a sudden, clothes of uh, fire have appeared on their heads and the Spirit filled them. And the birth of the church began that day. And we who call ourselves Christians are the recipients of what started over 2,000 years ago. And these disciples were no different than you and I. They weren't super Christians. They were regular dudes. As a matter of fact, one day Peter is preaching the gospel, and people say, Man, this guy, like, who is he? He's like Barney Rubble talking, you know, like, how does he know things about God? They they couldn't believe the power of the word of God that was coming through them. And the reality is, they're no different than any of you. And yet they set the world on fire. And we're here tonight because of what they did. Correction. Because of what God did through them. Could you imagine these few disciples? Could you imagine what could happen if you made it up in your mind that you would be obedient to the point of ridiculousness? I'm just telling you guys, I'm I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. You're selling yourself short if you don't obey God. I'm telling you, you're praying and you're crying out for God to do something and God's like, you ain't waiting on me. I'm waiting on you to make up your mind to do something. So consider what God can do. So the Bible tells us that if we would confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the crazy thing about it is that when you get saved, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. I'm tired of the same old, same old. I want to see the newness of life in people who are far from God. How about you? Do you want the same thing? Do you want to see a city turned upside down? As I close, yesterday I was in a meeting and one of the pastors was saying he's sitting on this council of community leaders and pastors that are trying to stem... The pandemic of gun violence in Tampa. Like people are dying left and right through gun violence. And they're trying to figure out a solution. And he said one of the most brilliant things in that meeting. He said, I know we're going to come together and we're going to be talking and we're going to be meeting and we're going to try to figure this thing out, but the truth is, there's nothing we can do about it unless we get the gospel out. Because all we're aiming for is behavior modification. But behavior modification doesn't happen without transformation. And we need transformed lives to see transformed behavior. And so he said, if you could pray for one thing, pastors, pray that we will be serious about getting the gospel out. And this is what he's doing. And so here it is. I fought that fight. Many years ago. In that room, they told me I had to start from the youngest and go all the way up to the oldest and fight against seniors who were way bigger than me. And here's what happened. I went in and I just started fighting my best fight. I hit that wall, my hands swole up. Fight's over. Y'all know what happened from that point on? I never had anybody mess with me again. Not Matt, not Chip, none of the seniors. They all left me alone. Because they saw what they needed to see. That I wasn't going to bend the knee to fear anymore. I wasn't going to allow fear to control me. I want to leave you with this as the band plays. Some of you are experiencing turmoil and chaos in your life because fear has overcome you. Fear has taken over you. Some of you aren't doing what Christ told you to do because you're afraid. You're afraid you're not going to be the cool kid anymore. Can I give you a helpful hint? The older you get, you will not be cool. Just have kids. You'll realize how cool you are not. Just telling you. You're worried about your rep. You're worried about trying to fit in. You're worried about being canceled. You're worried about how it'll affect your pockets one day. And let me tell you something. At the end of the day, none of that matters. You want to know why? Because if you cancel me, I've already been accepted. If you come after my pockets, I have a God who provides. Who owns the cattle on the thousand hills. And the hills that they sit on. I ain't worried about you. Well, well, well Z, what about, what about your rep? I don't have a rep. My rep died when I became alive in Christ. So now I'm worried about Christ's rep. What about him? I don't matter anymore. I'm dead. He's alive in me. So it's about Jesus' rep. Why don't I rep that rep? Man, you act just like Jesus. Great! Thank you! I've been trying to do that my whole life. I keep screwing it up. But thank you for acknowledging that. I'm trying. What if we're the ones who stand out. What if we live as ambassadors? What if we live as aliens? Woo! What if we live like strangers who are passing through this world? Heading to our eternal home? And what if as we're passing through this world, we grab as many people as we can and say, come on with me. Come on. Take this journey with me. Come walk with me. Come live with me. Come share Jesus with me. Come fellowship with me. Come, on, come dine with me. Let's sup together. What if we had that much? The reason why USF isn't turned on its head for Jesus is because some of you in here tonight just needed to hear God say, go to Nineveh. Just go to Nineveh. I need to preach a word. If you don't go, they won't hear my voice. I need you to go to Nineveh. And some of you just need to surrender tonight and say, I'm willing to go to Nineveh. And I'm willing to say what the Lord wants me to say. Will you commit to that tonight?